the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the podcast. You know when you go to a doctor and they give you a diagnosis, it's a good idea to get a second opinion, sometimes even a third opinion. Well, there was a second opinion given during the COVID pandemic, and one of the signatures on that great Barrington Declaration was Jay Bhattacharya. No one seemed to want a second opinion. We'll talk to Dr. Bhattacharya next. Now, it's time for some sanity. It's the Michelle Tafoya Podcast. During the COVID pandemic, which is still under review, look, let's not let this get too far in the rearview mirror, right? There are a lot of questions. Where did it originate? Did we do the right things? Did masks work? Did the vaccine work? Yada, yada, yada. Did we need to shut down the globe <laughs> to to flatten the curve, so to speak? Well, there was something called the Great Barrington Declaration, and you may have heard about this. And it was signed by three very notable, credible, legitimate um, academicians and doctors. And yet it was called the Great Barrington Declaration, you may recall. And yet no one wanted to hear it. And Dr. Jay Bhattacharya was basically shunned. Well, he's going to join us in a moment to talk about it and where we are today as we continue to look at Dr. Anthony Fauci as kind of someone who maybe had a little more to do with this whole thing than we realized. But first, look in the mirror. Do you see the dark spots? <laughs> They're not going to go away on their own. Introducing the dark spot corrector from Genucel right in time for summer. The dark spot corrector with not one but three cutting edge ingredients goes to work fast to target sunspots, dark spots, liver spots, spots, even old discoloration, both on your face and your hands. We know we have them. You'll be amazed at how quickly you will see results. You can now enjoy your summer sun, beach, and barbecues without the embarrassing spots. With Genucel, you'll see the results right away or your money back. No questions asked. So go to Genucel.com right now. Get your dark spot corrector with the new Genucel most popular package. Now featuring summer essentials like the best-selling ultra retinol moisturizer with a powerful retinol alternative for safe use in the summer sun. Visit Genucel.com slash Michelle. And that's Michelle with one L. Right now for these amazing summer essentials, save over 70% off Genucel's most popular package. Don't wait. Order Genucel's most popular package. Now free shipping, free returns, and the best luxury skincare you've ever used, all at 70% off. Genucel.com slash Michelle, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com slash Michelle with one L. All orders will include a mystery luxury gift while supplies last. G-E-N-U-C-E-L, genucel.com slash Michelle. Up next, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. So a quick look in the rearview mirror because it's very important. In case you thought that the Great Barrington Declaration was composed by some 
fly by night, you know, doctors who didn't know what they were doing. Let's let's review. Uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya uh, is a professor of medicine, economics and health research policy at Stanford University. He's the director of Stanford Center for Demography and Economics of Health and Aging. His research focuses on economics of health care, the economics of health care. Uh, he opposed the lockdowns and mask mandates as a response to the COVID pandemic. And let's not forget that with Martin Kuldorf and Sunetra Gupta, he was co-author in 2020 of the Great Barrington Declaration. Uh, the Great Barrington Declaration. It's important to remember those three words, which advocated lifting COVID-19 restrictions on lower risk groups to develop herd immunity through infection while promoting the much disputed contention that vulnerable people could be protected from the virus. The declaration was criticized as being unethical and infeasible by Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, uh, I am mutilating that, the Director General of the World Health Organization, which I lost complete faith in the WHO at that point. Dr. Bhattacharya is with us. I'm so glad to have you. What prompted the three of you to get together and write this declaration to begin with back in 2020? Well, the three of us, uh, you know, Sinetra, she was a professor, is a professor at Oxford University, and Martin was a professor at Harvard. Um, We've been working on infectious disease policy and uh, epidemiology for a very long time, you know, decades. Um, And uh, we had arrived at this uh, idea that the the pandemic management was wrong, was wrong headed. more or less independently, I think. Uh, but then we'd been uh, been in conversation, uh, you know, by Zoom um, uh, before this, uh, and we we, uh, we uh, Martin actually organized this little meeting, and the idea wasn't to like have a declaration. The idea was just to get together, uh, share ideas, uh, potentially uh, work on a work on a paper or, or a collaboration. But what we realized when we got together was that we had arrived at the same idea. Uh, which is that lifting lockdowns was the right thing to do, uh, especially for children who are at low risk from the disease. But the scientific facts were pointing toward this. For older people, the risk of of dying from the disease was much higher. So for children, it might be, you know, one in a million. Uh, for, for, for older people, it could be as high as two, three, four, five percent. Um, you know, people in their 70s, 80s, for instance, or people with multiple chronic disease. And so the declaration, and, and we also saw that the lockdowns were harmful. You know, you know, keeping kids out of school for years was was a really bad idea, Michelle. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and so so uh, what's the logical endpoint of that? The, the logical endpoint is lift the lockdowns and do focus protection of older people, devise policies to better protect older people. That's how you take this virus seriously. Um, and that's what the, the Great Barrington Declaration called for was two very simple scientific facts. This age gradient and risk and that lockdowns are harmful leads to the Great Barrington Declaration. Uh, and oh, why is it great? It's, it's a, it's a, it, we, we signed the declaration in Great Barrington, Massachusetts, which is a, okay. the town where we met. Okay. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 
800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. And so when you did that, and how did you initially distribute it? Who saw it first? Who got their hands on it? And, and what kind of reaction was there? So uh, I put it on, we put it on the web, right? So we put me, had a, a little web page made before, by it, uh, for it. Um, and then we put, we attached a place where people could put their signature, right? And their, you know, email. Um, and uh, when we put it on the web, we thought, you know, a few people would read it and they, they, they'd like, might, might change their minds about things. Um, but it, it went absolutely viral. So we put it on the web on October 4th. Within days, tens of thousands of doctors had signed it and epidemiologists, prominent people, the Nobel Prize winner here at Stanford signed it. Uh, very large number of people signed it. Uh, regular people signed it. Now, now it has almost a million signatures. Um, and it was it was getting um, getting attention basically everywhere. And, and I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think out why. I, th- I think we tapped on a vein of deep unease with the lockdown policies that we had been following. And it was clear that the lockdowns were going to come back, right? So remember October 2020, right. uh, the winter wave is about to happen. That's partly why we wanted to write it, because we wanted to warn against lockdowns during the winter wave. Um, and uh, uh, so it, I, I think it tapped a vein of like unease with the, the what had happened in the spring of 2020, uh, not just among regular people, but on a very large number of scientists. Um, so that's, I mean, that's how the, the word the word spread, you know, Word you know was by word of mouth. The the right. press didn't cover it. The uh, it was just people, regular people, passing on to their friends. But then there was a backlash. How how did that begin, and what was that like? So I learned a lot about how that backlash began later from uh, uh, Freedom of Information Act emails. So four days after we wrote the declaration on October eighth, twenty twenty, Francis Collins, the head of the National Institute of Health. Uh, which is the the major f- scientific funding organization for biomedical sciences in the U.S. He wrote an email to Tony Fauci, calling the three of us, me, Martin, and Sinetra, fringe epidemiologists. Fringe, uh, fr- yeah, fringe epidemiologists. Uh, I mean, I Harvard, think- Oxford, Stanford, fringe. <laughs> a friend of mine made a made a. Uh, business card for me with a, with the title of, I'm going to, I've now adopted, you read all those like titles, really the right title is fringe epidemiologist from now on. Um, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I, and, and then he called for a devastating takedown of the premises of the declaration. And then Tony Fauci responded with it, with a, uh, an email uh, where he linked to a Wired magazine article uh, with, you know, him showing up at, I think it was, he was in the article calling the Great Branton Declaration nonsense. Um, they organized a campaign, essentially a propaganda campaign, a, a media campaign to smear the people who sa- wrote and signed the declaration. And to, uh, I mean, that's, they, the words devastating takedown, that, those were Francis Collins's words. Um, th- that's exactly what it felt like. Like there was a propaganda attack on, on us. They were effectively accusing us of wanting to let the virus rip and kill people. When in fact, I know it's crazy because what we were calling for was better focused protection of vulnerable older people. The idea that the lockdowns were going to protect older people automatically had already failed in March of 2020. Yeah. Yes. Um, and in fact, I think, Michelle, it killed people because the idea was that well, uh, rather than 
making protection of older people the primary goal of policy. The primary goal of policy, remember, in March of 2020 was flattening the curve, right. meaning to protect hospital systems. Mm-hmm. And so when Andrew Cuomo sent COVID-infected patients from, from hospitals to nursing homes, he was doing it to protect hospital systems. He was reflecting what the goal of policy was. He wasn't an evil guy. He was just doing what the scientists had told him to do. We were arguing to change the focus of policy away from protection of all, all these other goals, you know, getting rid of the virus, which is not possible, to something that was possible, protecting older people from harm from the virus. Um, and I think uh, I, it, it was really unfortunate to watch public health essentially sort of cl- close ranks around itself, say that, as, in effect, that protecting older people wasn't possible and only lockdowns would, 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 would protect people. It was really wrongheaded. It's still astonishing. It was it was strange then. And asking any questions, you were called names. If I mean, I would ask a question on Facebook and just get lambasted by whomever. I mean, anybody who was, you know, just listening to Dr. Fauci uh, would any question of what he said or what the you know NIH or CDC sit or did or. Uh, you know, made us comply with, if you questioned it, you were, you were like called a kook. And, and, and we've just detailed your credentials and the credentials of the two others. And I've looked at this now and how many signatures are on the Great Barrington Declaration. That website still exists if people want to check it out and we'll, we'll give you the link. Um, so (laughs) this is, this is hardly fringe. What happened to you personally, doctor? I mean, I, for, for two straight years, every time I spoke in public or wrote, I would get death threats. I would get uh, hate mail. I'd get, you know, sometimes racist attacks, you know, go back to your home country kind of thing. Um, uh, it was it was really, really stressful, uh, especially early on. I didn't really I wasn't I, I, I spent my career out of the public eye. I, I, I write scientific papers for a living. Um, so I wasn't used to it. Uh, I wasn't used to the hate. Um, but that's that's what it felt like. Every, every It felt like uh, even from people in the scientific community who should know better um, were treating me like some foreigner or outsider uh, as opposed to like, like, like they wanted to excommunicate me as opposed to like engage with me. Um, you know, a devastating takedown by the head of the National Institute of Health. I mean, that's just felt like a mob movie rather than a scientific yeah. discussion. Um, uh, so yeah, it, just, it was, it was, it was really quite stressful. You know, we talk a lot about cancel culture during all of this. What uh, were you banned from any of the platforms on social media? Yeah. So uh, uh, when I did, I was at, I did a public roundtable with the governor of Florida in March of 2021. Uh, governor uh, Ron DeSantis. Governor Ron DeSantis, Florida, and uh, in, in that uh, in that roundtable, he asked me what the scientific evidence on masking children was, and I'd done my homework. I'd looked and sat, looked for randomized studies, uh, good high quality evidence on on. Did masking children have any effect on disease spread? No one had done a single randomized study. In fact, that's still true. Not one single randomized study on children. So, and the European CDC had said no masking children under 12. This, this, the, the WHO, which made so many other mistakes, said no masking children under six. And yet the US CDC was recommending masking two-year-olds, toddlers. It's insane. Um, so I, I told the governor this and YouTube pulled the video down. Because I, because of what I said, because I was so dangerous that I was saying that there was no, a true fact, uh, that there was no scientific evidence 
uh, no high quality scientific evidence from asking children. Um, and then later I, I joined Twitter in August of 2021. I told, I'd been telling my graduate students for years not to join Twitter because just write your scientific <laughs> papers. I said, I, they should, I, they, I owe them like some, some, some apology. <laughs> Powerful. Um, in August, 2020, I, 2021, I joined Twitter mainly just to get the message out, like right, to tell right. people about the lockdowns that you can look at my account. That's, that's all I, basically that's all I do uh, with it. Uh, and what happened was that, I, again, I learned this later, I was placed on a blacklist that reduced the, the, the spread of my ideas on Twitter. I didn't even know what was happening, I, but I was put on this blacklist. It was crazy. It was crazy. Like I just essentially, and, and I learned later from a lawsuit, I hopefully get to talk about this lawsuit called Missouri versus Biden, yes. that in fact, the government had in place policies to suppress open discussion on social media of the kinds of ideas I was trying to get across again, scientifically based ideas, ideas based not on, on, uh, if I, on, on, based on, on like what the scientific literature, my view of scientific literature was saying, um, the, those ideas were blacklisted on Twitter, on YouTube, on Facebook and elsewhere. It, it's, it's really terrifying to think about it because social media has become such a platform for sharing information and this notion. And we've seen it. We all know now that this happened. It happened to you. It happened to others. People were just uh, considered fringe or whatever term people wanted to use. And so rather than listen and engage and debate ideas, they simply muffled them and muted them. And it is, it is, uh, it's terrifying. So let's get into this. You, you mentioned the court case, Missouri versus Biden. In a nutshell, what is this case about? It's about government censorship and abuse of power, violation of the, of, at scale of the American First Amendment, the, 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 the robbing of Americans of free speech rights. That's really fundamentally what it's about. Um, so, uh, the case, was brought by the Missouri and Louisiana Attorney General's offices against the Biden administration. Um, I, I'm a plaintiff in the case, uh, along with Martin Kuldorf and uh, a professor from uh, from um, a California named Aaron Cariotti, who was. Uh, oh, we've had Aaron on the show. Yes, Dr. Cariotti. Yes. Yeah, he's. I love Aaron. He's he's amazing. Um, but he uh, so he was he was as you know as you know fired from UC Irvine. Yes. He was a chief medical ethicist. Uh, and professor of psychiatry at UC Irvine, and he was fired from his job because he uh, thought that the that the vaccine mandates at the University of California employment was unethical. Mm -hmm. um, and then also this uh, uh, there's uh, there's this Health Freedom Louisiana group that in, in Louisiana that had been advocating against uh, for, for informed consent and uh, and against the vaccine mandates. So those are the four major plaintiffs in the case. Uh, we were represented by New Civil Liberties Alliance. The the um, the uh, the case alleged that the Biden administration was was ordering and directing social media censorship. So it wasn't it wasn't just that YouTube on its own decided to pull the video down. It's that mm -hmm. they were reacting to direction from the, the, the federal government about what to censor and who to censor. Um, and so what, what what's happened in the case is that we we uh, because of the case, we got to read the emails of the government how they interacted with social media companies. Uh, we got to read, we got to uh, depose, uh, uh, I think like 10 different high uh, gov uh, officials within the, 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 the federal government, including Tony Fauci, including, you know, a, a deputy for the Surgeon General, uh, the, the, the 
press secretary uh, for, for, the, for, for, for President Biden. Um, we got to, we, and, and the picture it paints, Michelle, is absolutely shocking. Essentially, the Biden administration, and I think this power was already there during the Trump administration. So I don't think it's like, I don't think it was like sprang de novo, but, I, but the Biden administration weaponized this power. They, they, what, you, you see emails from the, the deputy chief, the chief of staff in the White House. I, I forget exactly his title. This guy named Rob Flaherty to Facebook, uh, people in Facebook saying, look, you have to censor these people, you know, using foul language. Uh, if you if you you have to you have to censor these ideas, you have to suppress these ideas, uh, including true ideas. You know, immunity after COVID recovery can't have people saying that, talking about that. That would be terrible, even though scientific evidence says that that uh, that it's true, um, because it might it might induce vaccine hesitancy, right? So Rob Flaherty writes these emails to Facebook saying, if you don't take down these posts, if you don't suppress these ideas on your platform, you are going to be killing people. And if you and, and we will use our regulatory power to go after you, threatening these companies if they don't comply. Um, and you know, just this essentially, what you see is a picture of an administration using its illegitimate use of of, of its power to suppress and shape the conversations in social media about scientific facts, about COVID policy, anything that contradicted their idea of what right policy was was not allowed to be spoken. Um, was suppressed. Uh, and, and and the idea really, I mean, you know, the internet's a big place. You can always go find some place for it. But really the main purpose, Michelle, was well, not just simply to suppress the ideas, but to make, to essentially put a mark of cane on the heads of anyone that would express them, right? To, 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 to do a devastating takedown, if you will, of the, of the, of the reputations of the people that express those ideas. Um, I mean, it's, it's, to me, it's criminal. We've got it in the in the courts now. So obviously it's being litigated as such. Where does it stand now? What's your sort of uh, sense of how this might turn out, Missouri versus Biden? So we've had some tremendous success, actually, because once you have this evidentiary basis of what the Biden administration actually did, I know anyone who reads it, I mean, if you're fair minded, you're going to be shocked. And um, the judge was shocked. Um, and, and so the judge ordered a preliminary injunction telling the Biden administration and a dozen federal agencies that they were no longer allowed to interact and communicate with uh, these with with these social media companies, you know, LinkedIn, t- Twitter, Facebook, and so on, YouTube, um, to tell them what to censor and who to censor. They were not allowed to do that any longer. Um, and, uh, and, and now they could still contact them. The judge's orders allows them to contact them for, you know, criminal threats or national security issues or whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's not a, it's not a broad order. You can't, just, but, but, uh, but it is a focused order that says you are violating the free speech rights of Americans by doing this. Um, and so, and that preliminary injunction, the government challenged it. Uh, they're, they're appealing it to the, I think the fifth circuit court of appeals, but I'm quite hopeful. I mean, the, the order itself is, uh, I think very strongly based in the law. I'm not a lawyer, so maybe I shouldn't speak on that. But 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 but, but my, my lawyers tell me that they're that they're fairly confident that the, that it would stand scrutiny. Um, and uh, and and I, to my mind, narrowly tailored to protect the free speech rights of Americans while still allowing the government to have its legitimate purpose in you know stopping the spread of child porn or whatever. I mean, that, that this is about right, right, right. Americans being able to do speak legal uh, to to speak to each other on speech that that the United States government should have no interest in stopping from happening. 
Well, I wonder about that interest in stopping it. it, So much was invested money monetarily and otherwise in the vaccine and the vaccine, you know, this constant, if you weren't vaccinated, you were vilified. If you had any questions about the vaccine, you were again, ridiculed. If you had any, you know, hesitancy at all. I mean, this effort to get everyone to put this shot into their arms, um, how much do you speculate? Do you want to speculate on how much that was a part of this, that they had so much invested in the purchase of these vaccines and getting them out that they just didn't want anyone to have any questions whatsoever or any misgivings? I mean, you don't have to speculate. You can see it in the in the documents that we developed um, from discovery in the Missouri versus Biden case that that was a primary motivator to them. Um, the, the, to make sure that everyone was vaccinated. Um, and I, I, the motives are less clear. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, obviously the, the, the companies like Pfizer and Moderna have a monetary interest. Uh, my reading of the evidence uh, from Missouri versus Biden is that the Biden administration was much more concerned about uh, the political ramifications of what would happen if everyone wasn't vaccinated. Uh, President Biden had made a promise that he was going to crush the virus. You know, that was, I think, a large reason why he was elected. Um, and in his view, I think that uh, th- that the vaccine was the, the way to do that. Uh, even though the evidence had been already come out, I think, by April of 2021, certainly, yeah, that, uh, certainly by May, by 2021, that the vaccine didn't stop you from getting or spreading mm-hmm. COVID. Um, they, they, they held on to that view. And their view was that there was these people spreading misinformation that were that were uh, undermining the, uh, the 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 desire for people to be vaccinated um, but the problem was that a lot of the, the information that was being spread wasn't misinformation it was actually true mm-hmm. right so if you've had covid and recovered that actually provides pretty good immunity that was a true fact that was like you could see it in study after study after study and yet if people knew that fact that reduced the the desire for some people to get vaccinated. And so rather than treating people like adults and saying, okay, well, here are the marginal benefits and marginal harms, you know, uh, of these true facts uh, of the vaccination, given these true facts, they decided that they were going to suppress the spread of, of facts like reality um, online uh, in order to meet their political goal, which was to make sure there was a vaccine in every arm. Wow. It's it's uh, it'll be interesting to see, Dr. Bhattacharya, if this particular podcast in which you and I are discussing this remains on YouTube or if we get pulled. Uh, so we'll see, you know, uh, but this this is this is nuts. Um, it, it right now, t- there's still attention on the origin of of the covid-19 virus and you know, Dr. Fauci, whether or not he was involved in funding this gain of function research over in Wuhan that may have led to this. How important is it for us in your estimation, in your role in medicine to discover the origin? I think it's tremendously important, actually. Um, And because look at the two allegations, like the two different stories, right? So on the one hand, the, 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 the idea is that um, it spread naturally from one from a, from you know sort of humans interacting with uh, wild species in ways that that, that cause so so if, if that's true, um, 
and you, you have this risk of, you know, tens of millions of people dying from the, from a disease that spreads from a, a you know, a bat or whatever. Well, we, I mean, there's something we got to do something about that. Right. Um, which if we can, um, and in fact, we, that's actually been the motivator for a lot of infectious disease management policy over the last two decades. A lot of the research, like the gain of function research, the purpose of it was to, to identify viruses in the wild that may have the potential for making the leap from animal to human. Um, so if, if that story is right, then we should keep doing much more of that research. Uh, on the other hand, the other side, the other story is that, that this was actually a, a leak from a science experiment gone awry. The leak was an accident is in the most likely version of that story. And so in fact, the very act of trying to prevent a virus from making a leap from natural, from, from animals to humans led to the spread of viruses from animals to humans. And so it's the science experiment that caused the, 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 the problem itself. So it's a, there's a binary choice we have to make as a society. Do we uh, permit this kind of experimentation to happen? And if it's, if it really was an animal, uh, if it really was a lab leak, then we face this ever, the, our own actions cause this ever present danger of yet another pandemic happening, or we, or we uh, give that up and then permit the natural, uh, you know, per, per just have them, uh, you know, expose ourselves to the, the possibility of a, of, a, of a virus leaping from animal to human. Um, that's the policy choice, a tremendous policy choice on which I think the futures of society depend. Um, so I think it's really, really important to, to get to the bottom of it. I personally, based on the evidence I've seen, I'm much more, I, I believe that it likely was a lab accident. Mm -hmm. um, I, even to a layman like me, the, the more that you hear, the more that you read, the more evidence comes out. It's, it's very easy to believe that. Like the comedian John Stewart said, if there was a chocolate flood, uh, from near the Hershey, Pennsylvania lab, it was probably from the Hershey factory. You know, it's just I'm I'm paraphrasing there, but you get the idea. Um, at this point, here we are where you and I are recording this in July of 2023. So it's been a few years now since you've uh, that you've endured what you've endured. How are you feeling about your reputation, about your place at Stanford, about your place in the conversation today, Dr. Bhattacharya? Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's sometime in July 2020, I decided I didn't, I was going to speak up regardless. I mean, I, there was a tremendous pressure on me from inside Stanford to stop speaking um, in 2020. And, uh, but I, I decided I, I didn't care what my reputation was. I, I had an obligation to speak just based on what I'd been doing as my, in my scientific career. Um, and based on my, my, you know, what, what I really wanted for myself, which was to, uh, you know, like I, I, I have to, I have to say what I see. Um, as a scientist. So I, I, at, that, at that point, I decided I didn't care what my reputation was. And I don't know what it looks like now in the scientific community. I mean, I, I have friends of mine who tell me that, uh, you know, there are people who won't talk to me or, or listen to me anymore in the scientific community. Um, that makes me sad, but it is what it is. Um, but on the other hand, there are lots of people who now I've had interactions with inside the scientific community um, that I, that I, couldn't imagine have had it, having interactions with. I think it's been tremendously, um, you know, gratifying to, 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 to interact with them and to learn from them. Um, and, and so it's been, it's been, you know, like Nobel prize winners and, 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 and folks who were, who, uh, uh, you know, it's, just, it's, 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 it's been a change <laughs> at the very least in, 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 in <laughs> scientifically. 
I'm much more publicly known than I probably ever wanted to be. Um, and uh, the question is like, what do I, what, what do I do with that? And I think what I would like to do with that is uh, continue to advocate for, uh, uh, for free speech within science, continue to advocate for better, uh, better, better public, uh, public health management. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then, push for a, uh, an honest assessment of what happened during the lockdowns, uh, during the, during the pandemic, so that we can, so that, uh, I mean, I think if we do an honest assessment, if we ask actual, the, did these work, what were the harms of these, these policies, um, kinds of questions, the answer will be, we will never lock down again. If we, if we honestly look at back at what happened, it was, it, the, the lockdowns harmed the well-being of the poor, of children, of vulnerable people, literally everywhere on earth. Uh, and we have very little to show for it. Uh, and I think if we, and I, I would like to be able to be an advocate for that honest assessment so that, and I think at the end of it, we will remember lockdowns as a tremendous mistake and we'll shudder and horror at the idea of ever having them come back again. I hope that you're right. And I applaud your courage to stand up to the face of the powers that be, whether it's at Stanford University or the NIH or the CDC or the WHO. And the fact that debate over these issues has seen, people seem to want to avoid it. That terrifies me. And so anyone with your credibility that's willing to stand up and say, we must discuss this stuff. What are we afraid of finding out that maybe someone made a mistake? We need to find out when mistakes were made so we don't repeat them, as you've said. And and the lockdowns uh, certainly were among them. Um, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, I wish you nothing but success in these efforts we support you, and um, we're so grateful you came on with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. It's a great honor to speak with you. Oh, likewise. He is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. He is uh, doing what I suggest everyone does at the end of every podcast, which is I say, be brave and do good. He's showing courage. He's trying to do good in the face of a lot of pressure, and uh, we applaud him. Doctor, thank you. Everyone, we'll see you next time. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.